Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Parenting SOS. Now I get to speak to so many amazing parents on Happy Mum, Happy Baby, but sometimes it's nice to hear from a professional for a bit of expert advice. So every month on the podcast, we are bringing back Parenting SOS, where I'll be diving deeper into a specific topic and getting your questions answered. So my guest this week is Dr. Frankie Harrison. Frankie is a clinical psychologist. She's worked with mental health charities, the NHS, and helps families through the postnatal period. Frankie is also the co-founder of Miracle Moon, a place to support parents who have babies that need neonatal care. And that's the subject of this week's episode, Neonatal Intensive Care. So welcome, Dr. Frankie Harrison. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. An absolute pleasure. An absolute pleasure. And I know that you are someone who gives so much support and warmth and love to people who are in such a a place where I don't think when you're going into parenthood, that's not a place that you don't associate. You, you don't. Right. I don't think you pay, pay any attention to that even being an outcome. That being a place that you're going to be. No, I didn't. No. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about talking about it. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just not. Yeah, absolutely. But I guess for people that don't know, can you first of all explain what is NICU? Yeah, so it stands for Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. When I talk about 
about NICU generally, I'm talking about neonatal care. So there are the different levels. So there is the level one, which is your special care. So that's the unit for babies where they need shorter term support. So maybe they're born later in gestation. Maybe they need some support with monitoring or breathing or temperature or uh, things like jaundice, things like that. So babies who just aren't well after birth. And then you've got a level two, which is your local neonatal units, which are higher dependency. And then you've got your level three, which is your neonatal intensive care unit. So that's the more complex care, babies who are born earlier, so like before 28 weeks, um, and they need the highest level of treatment, so more surgical. Um, and it might be that in your local area, you have that, or it might be that you don't have that level of, of neonatal care in your local area. So I I think by talking about it, it's, it's the number one thing um, is finding out what your local hospital has and where your nearest level three is, because it might be that you need to be transferred. And I guess the other side of this is that you never know when that might happen, you know, because lots no. of babies are born prematurely or have to be yeah. delivered super early. So it is something that we can't necessarily plan for. We can be aware of it. For me, I, I wonder if that's what makes the support that you've created so important, because when you end, when you find yourself in that position, it's knowing where you can turn to. And that's exactly it. I think we need to be talking about it antenatally. So like like you said, so people are aware, yeah, even, yeah, yeah. Just, just aware it is a thing. It's a thing that could happen. And then if you find yourself in that situation here is where you go for mm. more support and it is here and there is a whole wealth of information and knowledge and stuff that you can learn and that you are you're not alone in it because again that's how I felt I just felt so completely alone in it I felt like I was the only one feeling the way that I was feeling uh, I didn't know anyone else who had been through it yeah so I think just all of those things that can kind of come after and also for people who are family and friends to know about it because it's it's one in seven babies who need neonatal care. And I think that number's quite high. Yes. And I think that therefore by like family, friends, um, medical professionals all really knowing the impact of it, it can only be a positive really. Yeah, absolutely. But I think when you're pregnant anyway, it's such a weird thing to me that we put so much emphasis on the birth. I don't know. I don't know whether we're meant to seek comfort from the fact that we've got this plan or whether, you know, we talk a lot about uh, this on the podcast that we're kind of almost setting ourselves up for a failure. I'm saying that in inverted brackets, a failure, because how can something that is almost out of our control be placed in a plan? Yeah. And I and I know that a lot of people within in the birth world talk about the preferences rather yeah. than the plan. And like, for example, I've I've developed a birth preferences that I tend to go through with people who know they're going to have a neonatal stay. So some right. people do. So, for example, if you have multiples, the chances of you needing some kind of NICU is like 40 percent. Right. So, you know, that there is a higher possibility there for mm -hmm. you, but also people who have been through it before and are wanting another baby, having that control and an ability to plan a little bit to be able to include in that birth preferences okay so if I needed to go for an emergency section would I be happy with an induction what are the different options here yeah. what is my control within it mm -hmm. and then within it I've also got that bit of going okay so if your baby needed neonatal care are there things like do you want your partner to go with your baby or to stay with you yeah just some things that I know create trauma mm -hmm. and 
grief and being able to try in any way to kind of cushion that a little bit and have a bit more knowledge so you can't plan for it yeah. but you can kind of have something there that gives you a bit more knowledge I think. I think before we um, dive into questions or anything I wondered whether you would share your own experience um, with us. I was pregnant as it normally starts <laughs> and that was a fairly turbulent pregnancy it wasn't straightforward um, at about 10 weeks um, I lost a twin um in the pregnancy and I think I probably had every pregnancy symptom going like I felt like I lived in the GP and was like what is this carpal tunnel I've got nosebleeds I've got like all, all of this stuff um got the pelvic pain and he was just like yeah it's just it's just pregnancy and I was like this is <sighs> awful <laughs> so I was one of those people who was kind of wishing it away a little bit and there was a lot of guilt around around that too for right. me as I got into the kind of end of the second trimester, beginning of the third trimester, I started to develop more swelling. My blood pressure started to spike and I got admitted into hospital for about a week where they tried to control my blood pressure with medication and bring it down. At this point for me, no one talked to me about neonatal care. No one talked to me about prematurity. It was just, we just need to maintain, like get your blood pressure down. Do you think they, that was done to not stress you out? I don't know. I don't know whether it was a not stress you out. I don't know whether so it was... If, if, I wonder if it's because of a blood pressure thing, if you are then being told... I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I no. don't know. I don't really know. I don't know whether it's kind of trying to protect pregnant women. Yeah. I don't know whether it's maybe an oversight, maybe thinking someone else has done it. Yeah. And I know that some people can go on just having the high blood pressure throughout pregnancy and mm -hmm. it not develop into preeclampsia, right. but that's what... It, how it ended for me. Did you know anything about preeclampsia at that time? No, right, no, okay. nothing. I haven't been told obviously anything. can lead to organ failure and is a, a very serious thing. But if you're feeling well within yourself in some ways and comparing to other people on the ward. Completely, completely. And my midwife was like, your blood pressure is really high. You need to go to hospital right now. I was like, I've driven to this appointment on my own. I was like, can I drive to the hospital? And she was like, no, you could, you could have a stroke. And I just remember being like, what like it just didn't quite make any sense because I wasn't feeling yeah I wasn't feeling like that yeah. but then it kind of escalated and within a few days then the preeclampsia symptoms kind of escalated um I started having the organ failure in various different ways and at 31 weeks they just said we need this baby to come out now and every time they did the scanning it was like your baby is fine your baby is happy in there but my body was not happy. Yeah. So again, another layer, layer of guilt there that I was like, it's just my body letting me down. And I know that's something that a lot of people feel afterwards and really struggle with afterwards. And then we ended up spending five weeks in neonatal care and he needed support with breathing, with feeding. And it was mainly just kind of monitoring. But my experience in that was very dissociated very cut off very numb I kind of felt like I was underwater throughout the whole experience and it took a lot for me to be able to get to the point where I felt safe enough to bond where I felt safe enough to like call myself mum yeah. it took a very long time for me to say that I gave birth because I'd had an emergency section and it just it I think disconnect was the word for mm. me it just all felt so disconnected and then we went home, I started looking for support, I started looking for other people talking about it, and I just couldn't, couldn't find it. Mm. And then we went into the pandemic. 
and then people started talking about um, things a little bit more online yeah. because I think people were seeking support. So I couldn't have baby groups as much. So we started connecting with other mums and I connected with another mum called Georgie, who's a graphic designer, had a baby at the same gestation as me. We think we've got something here. We could start talking about this a little bit more. We could start yeah. supporting other parents. And that's kind of how the Miracle Moon side of stuff was born. Yeah. How do you think your work impacted your experience do you think you went into it looking out for different things within yourself or do you think when it's you you can't approach it in the same way there's part of me that wants to answer that of being like yes I'm a psychologist so I <laughs> was able to completely look out for stuff I didn't I was in it and I was experiencing a high level of stress and trauma and I felt like I didn't know a huge amount about what was going on yeah so it wasn't until really I was out of it that I was able to go oh that's what that was a little bit more yeah. you know I knew at the time that the kind of numbness that I was feeling was dissociation but in terms of like really, really knowing everything, like I had um, postnatal anxiety afterwards and I wasn't really aware of that's what it was until other people started to say, do you think that there's something going on for you? Well, I saw on your um, on your website actually the other day, I saw that the stats that you'd shared that 70% of NICU mums have been found to have postnatal depression, 50% yeah. of mums are diagnosed with PTSD and 33% of dads. But the support just isn't there. Like that, those percentages are so high, and oh, right. you and you reference they're probably they're probably under what they actually are. Yeah, completely. I think the thing is, is that people come out of neonatal care, and tends to be what happened, or the majority of the people that I see, is it gets to about nine to twelve months, and then go. Wait a second, what is it that I have been through? And normally at that kind of point, that's when perinatal services stop taking people right. in so around that one year point so I think that people are then just like I don't really know where to go for support and I know that I reached out after my first birth and I went to my doctor and I was like I feel like I need some support and he was like it's just not there and I know that the NHS are working hard to be able to do that too but it takes time in yeah. the NHS but they're becoming a lot more aware of it which is really good well it's even stuff like mums being put on wards with mums who have their babies with them where your yeah. baby's in NICU, like little things like that that seem so obvious. Organising things maybe a little bit better so that mums feel so much more supported and we get that with bereaved mums as well. Mm. You know, there's so much that can be done. Again, in my experience, it took me to get to breaking point and being like, please, can I have, do you have a private room? Do you have a ward where there aren't people with their babies here? Um, and then they were like, yes, that's fine. But it shouldn't need to get to that point. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. On Parenting SOS, we ask you to give us your top three most asked questions. So let's dive into those. And then we've got lots of questions from the community as well. Okay, number one question. How do I even think about another pregnancy after a NICU stay? Oh, gosh, I can understand why that's a massive question when there's so much trauma attached to it. I had my daughter after my son and she was born at term and she did not need um, a neonatal stay. But everything was kind of pointing towards the fact that I would need another Mm. neonatal stay if you look at you know if you look at the stats and stuff like that I was kind of getting myself geared up to being like I'm going to have preeclampsia again I'm going to need another NICU stay but I think you firstly have to give yourself space to process the first experience in some kind of way so whether that's through birth reflections or therapy in the NHS or charities or private or just on your own in some kind of way just give yourself some time to process what it is that you kind of went through first Mm. I think some people can find the time of thinking about a pregnant another pregnancy really difficult but some people also just when they are in that experience of being pregnant again you know that bit of the body keeps the score and stuff if your body is pregnant again it kind of sends alarm bells in your head of going this is a threatening thing this is a scary thing yeah I wonder if for some women getting pregnant might just bring back so Mm. much that they might have overlooked before, might have felt like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, you know, I'm fine. And then actually the reality of getting pregnant again, of being back in that place. And then you go for the scans Mm. again, you're walking into the hospital again. All of those things can be really triggering of kind of what you've been through before. But I think that bit of going, this is different. I could have had that like tattooed on me during the second pregnancy. I kept saying that to myself. And I remember having an induction with my second and being on the unit in the, in the same ward and my brain started to kind of go and I started to feel really anxious and I remember just sitting and writing on my notes this is different and listing out all the different ways that this was different I am different it is now a different year and that helped me a huge amount to kind of remind my brain that it was different doing things like coping tools and learning yeah. coping tools grounding mindfulness stuff stuff that allows you to be more present rather than spiraling into the past or into worst case scenario mm-hmm. in the future are all so important again another question I get asked a lot is how do I go into this pregnancy without being anxious and I don't think you can no <laughs> I experienced anxiety but again I just kind of planned for it yeah. so when it started to kind of come up I just was like okay let's ride this anxiety wave 
let's just wait for it to drop. It's not going to stay for the whole time. Let's just ride it. It's here for a reason. It's trying to protect me. Noticing it, grounding myself and doing whatever I could do to feel a little bit more in control. Yeah. Are there ways that the medical staff can help you in subsequent pregnancies as well? Definitely. So it depends on your trust and your area, but most places have like consultant-led care or you might have a um, continuity of care with a midwife who sees you the Mm -hmm. whole way through. They could talk to you about things like what you had been through before and do a little bit of a birth plan earlier. They might have mental health midwives. It might be that you can be seen by the perinatal mental health team during your pregnancy so that you could have access to a therapist during that time as well. Extra monitoring, extra scans that just make you feel a little bit more protected and safe within that other pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, Your second most asked question is I worry about health a lot, mostly mine and my children's. How do I manage the anxiety when it can be a real risk? I think the difficulty is, is that there is often a very real risk, either previously, so either that there was a risk to your life or your baby's life or health in some kind of way previously, or that that is continuing. So, for example, some people with preeclampsia continue to have high blood pressure. It doesn't just go after giving birth. Um, or continue to be unwell in some kind of way. Mm. Or if the baby was born particularly prematurely or sick or had things like chronic lung disease, then colds can escalate. And it can be that you get like RSV, which then means a hospital admission, which is then, you know, a parent's worst nightmare generally. But if you've been through that experience previously, it's, you know, even more scary. So, The first thing is the risk can be real. Mm -hmm. It's not something that is just in your head, you know. So I think just saying that to yourself, like there is a there is a real risk here, but our bodies go into this hypervigilance, this like any cough, any anything. um, It's like this oversensitive car alarm that just goes off whenever anything kind of happens. And it's helpful to have like an element of anxiety that kind of, you know, makes you move, it makes you act, it makes you do stuff. But I guess you're aiming for vigilance rather than hypervigilance. So that the alarm goes off when someone is trying to break into the car or someone breaks into the car instead, right? So you do things like noticing that the anxiety is there. I notice that I have been triggered here. I notice that I've got a level of anxiety here. You do something that allows you to breathe and ground yourself in the present moment maybe what you can see here touch taste and smell and then you do the bit of going what can I do now is there anything I can do now and practically like what can I do now what can I do next because the most common thing that happens is that people start spiraling this is going to mean a hospital admission this is going to mean you know whatever it is yeah well so when you've gone through neonatal care what is that like to leave it? Because even leaving the hospital generally, you feel like yeah. very out of sorts. You're, you know, the world seems like a scarier place. Um, you know, everything seems like a risk. But leaving with a child who has been in neonatal care, that must be such a overwhelming, anxious, bizarre feeling. 
exactly it is absolutely all of it and it is you're excited that you're going to go I remember being like I feel like I'm kidnapping him like I didn't really <laughs> feel like should he come home are they going to say no you've got to take him back and Georgie who who does the Miracle Moon stuff with me as well talks a lot about the fact that she didn't want to leave yeah. she felt safer there um, and she talks quite openly about having OCD and she was like I felt more in control there because we had the monitors we had the nurses there was checking all of that there and then going home and having to do that on her own that's when she saw the spike in the kind of OCD stuff mm. because she was like I, I feel so out of control here yeah. um so then the monitoring and checking you kind of do that on your own and a lot of parents do continue to do it for longer than they need to again I did to make you feel a sense of safety but it is a whole host of feelings and again I think people feel guilty that they're like oh, I kind of want to go back like we should be happy we should be excited but it's, it's a whole host of emotions yeah I can I can imagine when you do return home because your baby's home is there a sense from outsiders of well your baby's home now so everything's fine so can we come a visit you know and all, yeah. all of that so you've got that overwhelm as well which I imagine comes with a guilt because you're, you you must think well I should be enjoying this because I've got my baby home and people want to come and yeah. see my baby so I should be accepting of that and and enjoying that but actually there's so many other things that come with it as well. Yeah completely and I think I wanted people to come and see the baby because they hadn't they hadn't seen the baby and I've got a yeah. big family and I wanted them all to be there. I wanted to get out. Did you feel robbed of those those moments? Hugely. And that's something that is so big is that grief. Mm. There are so many moments that I grieved that I didn't get. The newborn bubble, the, um, the golden hour that you see kind of people yeah. talking about the big pregnant bump, even the baby shower, there were things that like I hugely grieved that I I didn't yeah. get. And I know that that's something that can be, again, really tough for when people then see like pictures of the golden hour and the positive births and stuff, which is absolutely wonderful that other people get that, but it can just hit such a big grief button within you, I think. Your uh, third question is, is it possible to ever get over trauma from NICU? So I think we we talk about this term of like getting over and I I'm not actually sure what that would look like. I think we can definitely change the way that trauma is stored in our brain. Yeah. Basically what trauma is is it's an event or events that overwhelms your nervous system's ability to cope. And what then happens for some people is that that trauma memory get stuck in your nervous system in your body but also stuck in parts of your brain like your amygdala which is like your emotion centers so then when you think back to that experience it's like the emotion is present it's like it is heightened you don't really have a timeline for trauma memories it's like it's right there so when we talk about being triggered it's like it's right here it's right now this anxiety this stress is happening again right now we can't differentiate so something like EMDR allows your brain to actually process and change where that memory is stored. And for so, people that don't know about EMDR, can you... I know, is it? it's the tapping one, isn't it? So it's eye movement, desensitisation, reprocessing, which basically means by using like eye movement backwards and forwards, side to side, or tapping from side to side. So basically bilateral stimulation on each side yes. and thinking about the experience that you had been through allows you to then kind of reprocess that memory and get it to a place where it is stored in long-term memory storage so that it then becomes like other memories. 
so that then when you think about it it feels right. more like a memory and it doesn't mm-hmm. give you that same kind of like gut punch it doesn't give you that same present feeling yeah. it's still maybe sad because it's a sad thing that happened but it isn't something that it's like this feels like it's on fire you know mm-hmm. so by being able to process the memories in some kind of way I don't know whether it's about getting over it you won't ever forget it but it's about kind of changing maybe your relationship with the memory a little bit so some people are like you know I really strongly believe my body failed I failed Mm -hmm. this is my fault I was so out of control I should have done more and things like EMDR allow you to kind of process it so that you're able to think kind of more kindly to yourself and be like no I did the best that I can and then you really kind of believe that but you can also do things like movement creativity writing talking finding your thing to be able to help you kind of spend some time with it and process it but some people need that that bit of extra help Mm. we asked the happy mum happy baby community to send in some questions for you uh so Let's work our way through them. Mm-hmm. How would you talk to your ex-Niku kid when they're older about how their start to life was different or difficult? So I wouldn't necessarily see it as a one-off event. Mm. I would see it as something that you kind of interweave throughout generally. So, for example, with my um, Niku kid, we have things around the house, like in his bedroom, we've got his first pictures of when he had cuddles with us and within that you know he's he's very small and he's got an ng tube and we've got the incubator within the photo and we've got like a photo album of the first and i guess just by having those conversations having it so that it's accessible and then as they get older they start to ask questions my sister is pregnant at the moment and um my son was like so when he's born he'll be in an incubator Ah. and then I had to have the conversation of not all babies need incubators it's only if they're really small or if they're poorly and then he started asking about whether his sister had been in an incubator and all of those kind of things and I know that as he gets older it might be that that then gets into a deeper kind of conversation I think it's really in that it's about looking after yourself too so for some people if again if they find the whole experience really triggering and really hard that kind of question could completely throw you off you could become really wobbly with it so just looking after yourself within that and if you need a little bit of space to go let me have a think about that I'll come back to you that's completely fine too yeah someone has asked how can I connect with other parents who have been through it so obviously we have Miracle Moon UK on Instagram, where we're probably most active, but we've also got things like a closed Facebook community. We've got things like our blog, our websites, our resources, our ebooks, our courses. And then there are charities like Bliss, Tommy's, The Smallest Things, um, Ickle Pickles. And then there might be local charities in your areas, so uh, Tiny Lives or Spoons or Leo's Neonatal, for example. And they might run things like groups. There are also Mm NHS-based services as well. So it might be that your units continue to um, provide something. Or there are things called PAGs, which are patient advisory groups, which are for attached to a neonatal unit and they are a group of parents who want to create change within their local neonatal units so you go and you talk about the things that could change yeah you kind of wish every hospital would have a list of things that they can kind of connect you with other people 
Um, someone has said, is it normal to find it hard to trust anybody looking after your baby? I guess that goes back to the anxiety and that risk assessment that you were talking about. I think the idea of leaving your baby with even like another family member. And I really struggled even with leaving with my baby with my husband at the beginning. Really? Yeah. Because I was just like, I feel like I need to be in control mm -hmm. because I had so little of it during that birth and uh, neonatal care. It's like it just overpowered. I was like, I need to be in control of everything. Yeah. And that's, a you know, quite often a sign of that postnatal anxiety as a result of that. So there are things that you can do to kind of reduce the the control and to be able to trust people a little bit more but it's about doing it in really slow slow steps and kind of building it up so I started with just going for a walk around my estate while my husband looked after the baby and then I was like okay we were okay mm -hmm. we can do that we do a little bit further and then I went and got my hair done and then it, it just kind of super super small steps I think if you wait until for example nursery and that being your first experience of leaving a baby with someone else mm. that can feel completely overwhelming someone has asked how do you come to terms with not having any more children after a NICU experience and then talking about is it tocophobia which yeah. is a fear of pregnancy and childbirth which I'd, I'd never heard of that expression yeah before. yeah so yeah it is a fear of childbirth which means that you then avoid having another child so yeah. it's massively under researched um especially in neonatal care there's there's nothing out there um but it's something that i see in practice a lot and it is mostly the fear of being in neonatal care again mm. so what i would tend to do with people is just kind of unpick a about what it is about neonatal care and for some people it's like well of course I just feel scared about neonatal care again but what is it about it is it that uncertainty mm. is it that bit of feeling out of control are there certain things within that that feel really scary so it's kind of unpicking a little bit about what what the fear is about but listening to it as well your body is telling you avoid this avoid this so give it a bit of space and time bit of curiosity to be like why are you telling me to avoid it what's that about and it might be then that you get to the point where you're able to again move into a more rational and logical way of being able to go okay no I feel like this is the right decision for me we've looked at the risks we've looked at what this could look mm -hmm. like I'm not willing to go through it again I can't go through it again whatever it is and getting to a place where you move into a place of acceptance we had some other feedback in our inbox which I thought I would just share Someone uh, sent, us a, uh, sent us a little note saying, another important thing about NICU is knowing what you can be doing, helping with tube feeds, etc. At first we were a little scared and didn't know we could get involved, but certain staff really made us feel like we could get involved, as involved as we wanted. That must be such a massive thing and also help with that transition afterwards of, of going home if you feel like you've had that connection and that input into your baby's care and day-to-day -day needs, yeah. Yeah. if you like. There are things that you can do. You are the most important person in your baby's life, in their care, and you can often feel put to the side or like you're not as important because you've got medical professionals who know what they're doing and are doing it. Mm -hmm. But you just being there as much as you can be, as much as feels okay for you, and being present, just being caught side next to the incubator, talking to your baby singing to your baby reading to your baby for a lot of people they spend time expressing for their baby if they choose to do that 
but just being a presence and then when you feel okay with it being able to be involved in looking after them feeding it looks different but tube feeding um or if you can't get them out of the incubator to hold them things like containment holds so putting your hand on their head and their hand on their feet so that you there's an element of touch there there's a whole different ways that you can bond there's a whole different ways that you can look after your baby but it looks different yeah uh so we end the podcast with you completing three sentences the first one is being a parent means living a life of that duality of emotion so being happy that they're growing being sad that it's going so fast happy that they're here sad in how they got here you know it's exhausting it's replenishing it's rewarding it's hard you need space you don't want to leave them <laughs> and i think that is why and is such an important word in parenthood because you can be feeling both and it is okay. It is okay to feel both. It doesn't make you a bad parent. It just, yeah. it makes you a I parent. I keep hearing, um, oh, I, I think it's Be uh, Dr. Becky. Oh, what is her surname? I want to say Kennedy. I think it's Kennedy. Good inside. Good inside. Yeah, she says a lot. Yeah. All the time she says, two things are true. Two things can be true. And I so all the time now, I, that's constantly ringing in my brain. Two things can be true. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. That's such a great answer. Um, if I could tell you one thing, it would be, again, need it on a t-shirt, that your feelings are valid. So there are no shoulds when it comes to being a parent and especially a parent who's been through neonatal care. The more that we compare and minimize and invalidate our own thoughts and feelings, then the harder it becomes. But if we're able to do that bit of being kind to ourselves and accepting of ourselves, being curious and validating ourselves, then it becomes easier. And finally, I'm happy when? I'm happiest when I get the support that I need to be the parent that I want to be. So when my husband, when my mum, when nursery support me with the kids um, and when I am able to do things for my mental health and my physical health that allow me to parent in a way that I want to. So it allows me to be more patient and more kind and more loving and more attentive by having that support but I need that support to be able to do that but equally supporting other people is something that I feel so passionate about and happy when I do it so when I'm in therapy with someone and they have like a light bulb moment or when I see them being kind to themselves or I see them getting better or opening up or whatever I just get such a a happy feeling from it or I get a DM from someone saying they feel seen or not alone just being able to support other people and provide that community and that support for other people just yeah makes me very happy well thank you it makes me very happy that people like you exist and that you, you know you're spreading so much compassion so thank you so so much uh, for being a guest on Have a Mother Baby. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. It wasn't as scary as you thought it was going to be. I mean, no, it was fine. <laughs> Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.